0: Welcome to the weekly worship podcast from the Presbyterian Church in Morristown, where we pause our busy lives to dig deeper into our faith. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. Or if you have someone in your life that may be inspired by this message, please share it with them. Let's listen to how God might speak to us today and remember to be the good in your community, a community that matters.
1: Friends, our second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Hear God's word to us today. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. Will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us and mold us. Fill us and use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh now on each one of us. Amen. Well, this is the third week in our sermon series called A Thinking Person's Guide to Faith. Over these weeks post-Easter, we're talking about some of the things that can trip us up or maybe be stumbling blocks for us, and if not for us, then for others certainly in their approach to a life of faith. Today, we're talking about wealth, which is something that I have struggled with because it's sometimes hard for me to reconcile what Jesus teaches about money and the way we tend to live, many of us anyway, in our modern American lifestyles. And because I truly believe that the only way to preach honestly is to preach to yourself, I should tell you that when I first owned this feeling like God was calling me to ministry, it was in 1996 on a mission trip to Haiti, the, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, surrounded by a kind of poverty I had never seen before. That was the summer before I started college, where for four years I believed I'd go off and do missionary work in Central or South America. And where did I end up after seminary? Newport Beach, California. (laughs) I guess my point is, if you've ever struggled with the question of wealth and what it means to be rich by the world's standards, when Jesus speaks so often about giving it all away, and then we can follow him. Well, I think we're all, we're all in good company. So let's dive right in. I, I want to say from the start that the Christian church has a pretty bad reputation when it comes to money, namely that we talk about money too much. I think a lot of people, particularly those outside of Christianity, when they think about the church, they often think of those TV preachers who proclaim what is called the prosperity gospel which says, essentially, that God wants you to be rich, to achieve personal wealth and, and, and spiritual victory. It sort of compla- conflates American-style capitalism with quasi-Christian values. If you have ever heard Joel Osteen and others like him, that's the prosperity gospel. Joel Osteen with his winning smile and a net worth of some 50 million dollars. I think all of us here know, but it should be said, that the prosperity gospel is not our theology, and and so I'm not going to talk about it too much, but many people do think that the church talks about money too much, and a lot of that may be wrapped up in the fact that, like so many other institutions, we are financially supported through the generosity of those who take part. I hope that you never feel guilty when we talk about stewardship here, or When we talk about your financial support for the church through our weekly offering, one of the things that I like to say is is that we shouldn't give until it hurts. We should give until it feels good. After all, what Jesus describes in our passage from John 10 is a a sort of abundant life, right? Right? And I think maybe that's the place where we should begin thinking about our, our relationship with Jesus and, and faith and wealth and our money. It, it should feel good. Others will come, Jesus says, and lead you into a way of life that is that is harmful, that destroys. I came, he says, that they might have life and have it abundantly. So we might ask ourselves, what does abundant life look like? Now in our passage, of course, Jesus isn't really talking about an abundant lifestyle. He's really talking about who he is. He's the good shepherd, the one whose voice the sheep know. He is the one who calls his sheep by name and gathers them together and into the safety and in a way into the flock of the sheepfold. Abundant life here seems to have something to do with the idea that Jesus leads his sheep together into community. Others will come and lead you into a way of life that is harmful, that destroys. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life seems to be about community, about about the fellowship of following Jesus. If you want abundant life, join the flock Allow him to lead you as your good shepherd. Now, what does that have to do with with wealth or with money? Well, if the church talks about money a lot, it might possibly be because Jesus talks a lot about money. Of the 39 parables he told, 11 were about money. He said things like, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He seems awfully concerned with money because, as he also says, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and wealth. So if he leads your coming in and you're going out, if it's his voice that you're seeking to follow, the voice of that good shepherd, the one who leads you to abundant life, then then pay attention to your relationship with money. Do you remember the story of a certain ruler who goes up to Jesus and asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. You know what to do. And the ruler says, yes, and I've kept all of them since my youth. And Jesus then tells him, you lack just one thing. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the ruler heard this, he became very sad for he was rich. What do we do with that, friends? For many of us are also very rich by the world's standards. And in fact, Jesus goes on, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it even said, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. So before we go any further, I just want to explore some of the curious things that that are in this passage, that are just sort of interesting. Like, for example, the Greek word for camel. You know, when Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. The Greek word is kamelos. 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 There's another word in Greek. Kamelos. It means rope or cable. But the two look pretty similar, don't they? Camelos. Camelos. Sometime in the 400s, Cyril of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers, he wondered if perhaps someone had simply made a mistake and confused Camelos with Camelos. Meaning what Jesus might have said is it's easier for a rope to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Maybe we're thinking about this all wrong. Another theory is that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the, the needle or the needle's eye. It was the gate that was used as after the main gate for the city was closed each night. For the security of the city, it was also much smaller, so that only pedestrians could pass through it. Now, I will say that this may be more myth than reality, because the walls to the city of Jerusalem were destroyed by the Romans in the year 70, so none of it exists as it was anymore. But when the walls were rebuilt, there there is a gate called the Needle's Eye, and it is quite small, such that only pedestrians can pass through it. A camel, too, could pass through it, pass through the Needle's Eye Gate, But it's not easy. A camel would have to stoop down to do so. And if the camel were carrying anything or transporting anything, all of that first needs to be unloaded and then set aside. So if Jesus isn't just speaking in some confusing metaphor here, he could be saying that the things that we carry with us, our our possessions, our stuff, our wealth, it needs to be unloaded and set aside before we can enter God's kingdom. Now I want to be clear these are just theories. Maybe there is or was a gate called the needle's eye, but but also Jesus says I am the gate. I am the gate whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pastor. Jesus' words are pretty clear and consistent. Money can be a total distraction, especially when it keeps us from being generous, and money certainly will not save us. But money in our day, it can also enable us to do some pretty incredible and amazing things to honor God and give God glory and to serve God's world in ways that we couldn't if, if everyone just sold all that they have in order to follow Jesus, right? Do I think that the risen, resurrected Jesus is, is at loose in our world? I sure do. Do I think he looks anything like Joel Osteen? Probably not. I tend to think that Jesus probably comes to us looking like the ones who sleep beyond the gates, out back, within the fold of our burial ground. And frankly, it doesn't do them much good if if there aren't people who can help, if that's what they want, of course. I think we need kind, generous, cheerful givers in this world who are so moved by God's blessing and grace in their lives that they respond in, in joyful and abundant giving toward others. And I'm not only speaking about giving to the church here, I'm, I'm talking about living whole and holy lives that feel good because you're doing good in your life and doing good in the world. I would, I would like to think that it is more than just cheap grace that says we can live comfortably and also generously using our blessings to do Christ's work in the world. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke of cheap grace as the means of doing whatever you want and living however you want and then counting on God's mercy and forgiveness and grace in the end anyway. I would like to think that it is more than just cheap grace that allows us to enjoy the abundance of life and also to share that abundance with the world in need. But maybe the other part of this that might just trip us up in our life of faith is the idea that that Jesus himself is the gate or that folks on one side of it might be saved. At our weekly text study on Wednesday night, in fact, that was the question that seemed to be the bigger stumbling block. If Jesus is the gate, then, then can only those who believe in him be saved? Well, I think there is enough evidence, both biblical and otherwise, to suggest that it is not only Jesus' followers who get to heaven. Take that certain ruler, for example. He asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life, and Jesus says, you know the commandments, and the ruler says, well, I've kept those commandments, and Jesus says, you lack one thing, and that one thing is not accepting Jesus into his heart as his personal Lord and Savior. No, it's letting go of the things that have hold of his heart. I believe God's grace is big enough, it's expansive enough, and inclusive enough to make space for all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike. Do I believe that Jesus died and rose again only for those who believe in him to be saved? Not for a moment. That puts the work of salvation on us as if we get to decide for ourselves whether we're saved because we decide to follow Jesus What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. And in the end, it is only God's grace that we can count on. And so in the meantime, I think that there is something to that idea that we should take what we have and joyfully give some of it back in return. Not until it hurts, but until it feels good. We know what that feels like, and God knows that the world could use more of that feeling in us and in others. So let's let go of the idea that that you just need to give up everything you own if you want to truly follow Jesus in the world, and instead, let's give thanks for all that we are and for all that we have, doing all the good that we can for as many people as we can for as long as we can. Because I don't know about you, but that feels pretty good to me. Thanks be to God. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening with us today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe. Or if you have someone in your life that may be inspired by this message, please share it with them. Visit us at www.pcmorristown.org or find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook to stay connected with our church. But most of all, Remember to be the good in your community, a community that matters.